You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. We've been asking the question here the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at the series entitled Breaking the Mold. We've been asking ourselves this question, are you the newer you? Are you the newer version of you or are you the same old you? Are you the newer version of you or are you the same old you? Just as everything around us, uh, the, we see the upgrades, the things that are, that are changed. And are we in our lives changing? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, and this has been a theme verse for us in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And just one of those words to, to, to hang on and remind ourselves. But he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That in Christ, that as we are in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. In uh, Early on in this same book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul would say these words as well, that the veil has been lifted. And because the veil has been lifted, we are made more and more in the image of Christ. Or another way of saying that is that we are taken from glory to glory. That God is doing an increasing work in us and causing us to become more and more like him. We're going from the old us to the new new us. Are you married to the same old person or are you getting an upgrade? Now I didn't say trade out. I didn't say a trade in. Not a trade in, an upgrade. That we become new. We, we grow in this relationship together. As we walk in Christ, he makes us even more as he's called us to be. In order for something to become brand new, we talked about this and recognized in order for something to become brand new, there needs to be a mold. The old has to be let go of or the old has to be changed. There needs to be a change of pattern and a new routine. We talked about Lot and the importance of Lot that his issue, if we read of what happened to Lot, that Lot had a practice of pitching his tent towards Sodom. If you know anything about Sodom, that Sodom was a place of great wickedness. And because of that wickedness, it all affected Lot because he first planted his tent towards Sodom. And what was his temporary condition or his temporary fix? How many know by Genesis chapter 9, he's no longer pitching his tent towards Sodom. In Genesis chapter 19, he now has a home in Sodom. He's built a home. And whatever we allow to be our temporary fix will somewhere, somewhere down the road be become our permanent hindrance, something in our life that becomes a difficulty. And the importance for Lot, as we look at our lives, is making sure that we turn our focus, our attention to Christ, that we don't build our tent outside of Sodom and looking every morning to the filth and to the corruption and to the darkness, but that we fix our eyes on Jesus. We challenged us on the first Sunday of this new year to take five minutes a day that when our feet hit the ground, that we make it a point to turn our attention to God. That we set a new habit, whatever your routine is, as soon as you wake up, as soon as you get out of your bed, to get your feet on the ground and to cause your mind to take thought and to take captive those thoughts, but to turn your attention towards the things of God, to be intentional in the first five minutes of your day, to set God as your focal point, rather than let it be in the thoughts of what you need to do today. How many know you let the thoughts fill you of what you need to do today? You'll bypass what God wants to do in your life. We get caught up in, well, I got this on my schedule. I got to, well, I want to check up what happened in the news. I got to see the update of what happened in Paris. I got to find out what's the new thing. And we make those other things and and just that challenge of taking the first couple minutes. I know we need to spend more than that with God, but making it a point that the first thing that you give attention to right off the bat, setting your, your sights and your attention, pitching your tent 
towards the things of God. We talked last week in the importance of us being a light. And Jesus, of course, gave us, he raised the standard. He said, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees or the teacher of the law, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Unless your righteousness is greater. Now, the Pharisees, of course, were those who, who were, would do things by the book. They took care of all the details. And Jesus said, unless you do better than them. And that could feel like a pressure. But for the Pharisees, they were all connected to how they look. It was in the same place that Jesus says we're the salt of the world and we're the light unto a world. We're to be a light that shines. That in our lives, it's not enough for us to be a well, a well put together lamp. That it's not enough for us to just have our act together. But that we must, in order to do and to shine and to do what God says, we must be connected. That we can not be connected just to what we do. Because how many know that what we do is not good enough? It's not righteousness enough. You're not going to get to heaven because of your works, because of your acts. You're only going to get to heaven because we're connected to the work of what Jesus Christ has done. This lamp has all the potential, but it will not produce or do what it's called to do unless it's connected to something that it's dependent upon. It needs a source. And in our lives, that importance, that the motive, it's going to break in our lives. If we're going to do better, it comes that we need to be connected. We need to be connected to the, the things of God. This morning, we're going to talk about another necessity for breaking the mold, that we can Break the mold of what has been. When you hear mold and, and uh, the, this, this whole idea of breaking the mold, it represents a pattern or a way of doing things. In another word or another way of saying that are habits. Do any of you have any habits? Are there any habits that are in your life? And, and uh, we're all made up by habits. You, we're creatures of habit. I know where you're sitting this morning because I know you're usually in that same seat. If I thought, man, I haven't seen so-and-so, I look to where you usually sit. And if you're sitting somewhere different, I'm thinking, what are they doing? I mean, who are they mad at? What's going on? What's, you're not sitting in a normal spot. You're not where you, you're not where you belong. We're, we're creatures of habit. I've got a habit. I don't know what your habit is. I'm here today to confess that I have a habit. My name is Jason, and I, I bite my fingernails sometimes. My wife hates it when she finds me biting my fingernails. And I know somebody like, you should have grown out of that. There's this habit that when I'm in deep thought, it's like this immediate thought. Oh, I just, I'm thinking about it. It's just that. And some of you are like, I can't believe you're that disgusting. Listen, I don't bite my toes. I can't even touch them. I can't even touch them, let alone. So it could be worse. But I've got this habit that when I'm in deep thought and I'm thinking about something, it's just this natural reaction. And I'll be sitting in the car, I'll be driving, and immediately I'll just, I'll just begin to think. And, and I've got that response, and Jody reaches over and pulls my hand down. And I bless her in the name of the Lord and say, thank you for doing that. No, I'm like, mind your own fingernails, these are mine. It's a habit. I, I don't really do that, but it's a habit. She's, and I realize it, it's one of those, for her, she says, that's, my, that's her pet peeve. And so I realize it doesn't help either because she'll come over and she'll say, can you scratch this on my back? I can't reach it. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I mean, there's no benefit to that. It doesn't help. I've got this habit and there have been those moments and I, I, I think to myself, I'll be all by myself and I'm in deep thought. I mean, if, if I'm, when I've got something milling through my mind, they're gone. I mean, I'm just beaver style. Oh, no, maybe not. <laughs> but it's a habit. You've got, you got a habit? You have a habit? I mean, it's what it is. And, and there are times I've thought to myself, oh, I got to quit doing this. And I'll even consciously try and stop and I'll, I'll not do it. But then without thinking, you just naturally do it. And then I'll have the thought, Jody doesn't like it when I do this. Jody's not here right now. <laughs> 
Or I'll have this thought, just this one moment, this little bit. Now, this sounds like a foolish illustration, but how many times is it in our life of those things, those habits, and we justify? Either no one sees, no one knows, it's just a little bit, it's not a big deal, just this small area, this small, this small occasion, whatever that might be. My natural instinct, and I know it's one of those things, just quit it. <laughs> okay. And I'll do good for a while. And I got that thought that just, I've, I've got to figure this out. I want to I come up with the idea. And this, it's just this natural response, this natural instinct. And how many realize it might be that simple for me to say, I just need to practice a little self-control. Ugh. Have you heard that word before? I mean, it, it's a matter of self-control. When it all comes down to it, it, it becomes a self-control that needs to happen. If we're going to break the mold of what's been in our life, if we're going to break the mold of what has been to walk into the new that God has for us, there might be some habits that we need to practice self-control in. We need to maybe have some self-control in some areas. How many would agree that, that the change that we want to see in our lives are, is many times affected by the self-control that we practice in our life? How many would agree with that? The change that I want to see is affected by my ability or by self-control. I want to lose weight. Take self-control. I want to be healthier. Take self-control. I want to stop smoking. Take self-control. I want to get a longer fuse. Take self-control. I want to respond. It takes self-control. And the the reality or or the necessity of self-control, listen how important it is. In Proverbs 25, it's on the screen. It says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person who does not have self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. It's a necessity for the change that we desire in every area. But you know, the problem is that we fight one of the symptoms of, of, of the lack of self-control. One of the symptoms is, is that we have to fight and face our desire for instant gratification. We are not good at delayed gratification. We're not good at that. It's not in our nature. We want it. We want it now. Delayed gratification. I don't even know if it's in our diction. What did he just say? I don't know what he just said. That word don't make sense to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's the culture of our spending. It's the culture of the decisions that we make. It's the culture of the things that we justify. And there are many things that we've justified in, in our culture and the way of doing things because we live in this, I deserve it. It could happen right now. I, this doesn't have that much effect. It's a right now thing. And we don't know how to practice delayed gratification. It started from the time we were young. In fact, it's naturally in us to want it now. We're not good at waiting. We're not good at saying, you know, we're, we're, we're going to trust or we're going to wait. It's not a natural thing. Take a look at this video and you just see maybe how you might respond and, and just see the torture that's undergoing. This, this, is, this, is a, this is a difficult video to watch, just to warn you. It's such torture. Practice self-control. It's not something that is, that is easy for us to, to practice or to put into work. In fact, that word itself, when you, when you hear the word or the phrase, those two words together, self-control, it, it carries with it a requirement of what we need to do. I mean, just think of self-control. When you think of that word, you, you think of things like, I need to get my act together, or I need to have willpower. I need to have mind over matter. I've got I've to get control of this. It's, it's what I need to do. 
And the pressure of that, the, the difficulty of needing to have control and the things that come around us, we need to, we need to understand. But the importance is this, knowing that, that it is not so much a matter of what we need to have control of, because even to have that perspective, to say, I need to get my act together, I need to, I need to, I need to have control, or, or I need mind over matter, I need willpower. Even to have that perspective, It's to make ourselves as the one who produces the power or the ability. That when we say it that way, when we perceive it that way, we we see ourselves as the ones who produce it. But let me remind you, self-control is not a power of the mind, but a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is not a power of the mind, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is produced by the Holy Spirit. Self-control is something that we're not able to produce in ourselves. It's not a matter, it's not mind over matter, but rather matter of the mind being controlled by the Spirit. We recognize and and really change the perspective that self-control is not what I can accomplish. It's the Spirit's work inside of me. It's what the Holy Spirit causes and makes possible. If we don't catch that, we will live in a world of frustration and spinning our wheels. You'll consistently, constantly be frustrated with yourself of I want to do this, but I don't do it. I don't want to do this. I do it. I need to do better. I need to do better. And we could hound ourselves and it becomes what we need to produce. But it clearly says that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a matter of me having mind over matter. It's a matter of me giving my mind over to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to hear this this morning. Maybe even need to write this down. Self-control is not the result of our ability to manage, but the result of the Spirit's ability to do the miracle. I want you to hear that again. Self-control is not the result of our ability to manage, but the result of the Spirit's ability to do the miracle. Self-control is not what I can produce. We already read, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes because of the Spirit's work inside of us. But if we live in the world of, I've got to have mind over matter, I've got to have willpower, I've got to produce this, then we'll spin our wheels, we'll be in a place of frustration because we'll always desire and want to, but how many know we always fall short? Unless we have the Spirit's power. Unless we have the work of the Spirit in us, we have those, those tendencies. In Matthew chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, I want to look at this story that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 12. And uh, Jesus, of course, is addressing the Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees and the, the religious teachers, the same that he addressed that we talked about last week. He's addressing these folks again. They come to him with this request. They come to Jesus and they say, teacher, Give us a miracle or do a miracle for us. That way you can prove your authority. And Jesus says to him, he says, he says, only a wicked generation asks for a miracle. A wicked generation asks for a miracle. And here's what he means by that. Wicked, that word wicked is the same as faithless. If you become a, if we're a person of faith, then we believe in God. But if we have no faith, then we're saying to God, I don't have faith. I don't believe you. So prove it. And because of faithlessness, faithlessness is, is, uh, is the same as a synonym that would go along with wickedness. To be faithless is to be wicked. Because if we don't live or act as faith in God, how many know we will live and act of the flesh and 
live and act in the way of the world. And so it becomes wicked that if we're not operating as people of faith, Jesus says to them, only a wicked person or wicked generation asks for a miracle. He says, but the only miracle that they'll receive is the miracle of Jonah. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, there's a book about it in the Old Testament. But Jonah was a prophet who God said, I want you to go there. And Jonah said, no, I don't want to go there. I want to go here. And so he went on a boat to get a far, as far away from God as he could. The storm came, and it was his fault. And the, the, the people on the boat, uh, no, Jonah said to him, throw me into the water. I just trust my life to God. So he's thrown into the water, and the story, uh, as the, uh, the story is, is, is shared and what really happened, more than a story, this is the truth of what took place. It's in history of Nineveh, these cities that, that were affected. Jonah was swallowed by the whale, and for three days he lived in the belly of that whale. And on the third day, he was brought back out. Jesus said, the only sign you'll have is the sign of Jonah. Because the same way, the Son of Man will be buried in the belly of the ground for three days, but he will come back. He's saying to them, the miracle that you need is not the miracle of seeing me doing something great, but the miracle of regeneration, that I can take dead things and bring them to life. And if you don't allow that work to happen in your life, there is no other miracle that will stand compared to that miracle. God may be able to restore your sight. That that's a miracle. But if your soul is not regenerated or born again or brought to God, then the miracle of your eyes being restored is nothing compared to the miracle of your heart. I would rather, the Bible says this, Jesus said, it's better for you to enter eternity with one less arm and one less, less foot than to go to hell with both of them. You're better to go with nothing or, or not with nothing, but you're better to go with, with an arm that's cut off or a leg that's cut off or an eye that's plucked out. You're better to go to heaven blind than you are to go to hell with your, with your eyesight. The greatest miracle is the miracle of regeneration, of God doing new things. He says to these people, he says the only miracle that you'll get and that you'll have is the miracle of Jonah. And the reason that's necessary is because that is the first and that is the greatest miracle that we need in our lives, the miracle of regeneration. No other miracle matters. Unless God restores our soul, makes us new, no other miracle will matter. He says to him, he says, this is what this generation will look like. And here's the, here's the story that he gives. It's just a few verses. But in Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 43, here's what he compares this generation to. As he's using these words, now that I said that, I've got it memorized. I'll just give you the story. You can follow along in your Bible. Here's the story. Jesus, of course, is saying there was a man who was delivered of an evil spirit. And when he was delivered of the evil spirit, that's right, I forgot we put it on the screen. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. The next one. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Now, here's what he's saying, that that person, he uses this story. And the story that he puts together is saying that this person will be worse off than they were before. I want you to notice the condition of the house that Jesus finds. He says this person will be worse off than they were before. 
If we're going to break the mold, the longer we stay in the mold, the longer we remain as we were, we become worse off than we were before. But when God changes and does that transformation, which self-control is necessary, it becomes a work that is changing. We become not worse than we were before, but better than we were before. How many know we serve a God who makes things better? A God who brings restoration. But notice how he finds the house. He comes back and he says he found the house, the, the spirit left, and he came back and he found the house empty swept and in order. Now you and I would look at that and say, that's a great condition. That house looks pretty good. I mean, it's got to be pretty good that the fact that, that everything's put in order and, and, and everything is put in its place. But this reminder to us today that self-control is not the result of our ability to manage, but is the result of the Spirit's ability to do the miracle. Self-control is a miracle, just like all the other fruits of the Spirit. How many know that it takes the Spirit of God to love some people? It takes the Spirit of God to love even when you know that you're frustrated, you don't feel like it. How many know it takes the Spirit of God to love that way? It takes the Spirit of God to have joy in your life when everything else seems like it's falling around you. How many know it takes the Spirit of God to have that joy? It takes the Spirit of God to have peace, to know that peace when everything is turbulent and troubled around you. It takes the Spirit of God. How many agree with that? It takes the Spirit of God to produce kindness, to produce gentleness. It takes the Spirit of God to produce self-control. But many times we put that weight and that pressure on you and I. We think that it's our job to have self-control. You're not good enough to have the self-control you need. You don't have the ability to produce the self-control. You can't just get your act together. You can't just have mind over matter. It's not willpower. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that overtakes and takes control in our lives. I was putting uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, needed some help with my computer, something I wanted that needed done and called for tech support. And, and as tech support was called, the gentleman on the other line says, if you'll go to this website and if you put in this information, I can take control of your computer. Do, 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 do. I go to the website, I put the information in. He says, now let go of your cursor. I let go of the mouse. And he starts all of a sudden from another state, another part of the country, he starts taking control of my computer. He goes into places and pulls up this blue screen with all these, it looked like a whole other language. I mean, all this, this matrix and this information, I couldn't make sense of any of that. He's doing all this work, says, then I got to do this, and I'm talking on the phone. He's controlling my computer. And at the end of it, he says, there, that should fix the problem. All done. I said to him, I said, well, I'm glad you did that because I have no idea what you just did. How many know that when I gave him access, he took control and he did on my computer what I had no idea how to accomplish? The work that God wants to do in your life to break the mold, the, the self-control that you need to, to, to eat healthier, to live, to, to make better choices in your life, to overcome that habit, to overcome that weakness, that will not be produced by you being good enough. It will only be produced as you surrender control and say to God that you have control of my life. I'm going to let you do it because it's not enough for us to sweep and put everything in order that you can come back and the house is empty, it's swept, and everything is put in order. And you and I could say, oh, everything looks pretty good everything looks all right but I want you to see the Bible says that spirit goes away and when that spirit goes back he goes and he finds how many other spirits you guys are pretty smart what is seven he already has one he goes and finds seven more there are now how many evil spirits you guys are brilliant my goodness y'all must have gone to Uniontown smartest school here in Fayette County why are you laughing it is it's a great school eight 
You know the significance of the number eight? The number eight is the number in the Bible that is for new beginnings. There are how many days in a week? On the seventh day, he rested. And on the eighth day, it would have started all over again. It's the number of new beginnings. Eight is the number of new beginnings. You know what? Eight also in the Old Testament, he told them, and on what day were they supposed to circumcise, circumcise the Jewish babies? On the eighth day. Why? Because there was a, there was a, a change and, and there was a, a, a recognition of being, being changed and marked. And on that eighth day, a place of new beginnings, a place of belonging, a place of restoration. Here is eight. He comes back with eight, eight, eight spirits stronger. He's now stronger. And the Bible says that that person is worse than they were before. But wouldn't you think they had it all put together? I mean, the house was swept. Everything was put in order. I used to clean up my room. Mom would go into my room and say, Jason, you need to clean your room. So I'd clean my room and mom would come back. said, Jason, you didn't clean your room. All you did was pretty your mess. You didn't clean your room. You just took the mess that was there and put it in a pile. And sometimes all we're doing is moving the dust from one place to another. And you can do everything in your power to get self-control. Put things in order. Get it the right way. You can do all you can do. But all you're doing is putting dust into another place, into another area. And it all looks good. Then it just gets messier. Because you never really cleaned it. It's empty. You see, because the difference is I would much rather... Lay down what my ability is. My ability to sweep and to move the dirt around. But rather say to God, God, let the wind of your spirit, let the wind of your presence come in and take control of my life. What was Adam made out of? Dust. He was made out of a pile of dirt. God made Adam, he's there. And Adam laid in that same position. God made him out of dirt. And he remained lifeless until God did what? Breathe life into his nostrils. Some of you need some holy resuscitation this morning. Some of you need some holy resuscitation because you've been moving the dirt around in your life, trying to get self-control, make it work, put things in order, and you've been doing everything you can, enough willpower, enough strength, enough to have self-control, what you can produce, but your ability to have self-control is not your managing skills, it's your surrendering skills. It's when you say to God, God, I don't want to just manage, I want you to do the miracle. I want you to bring dead things to life. I want you to come and restore what was lost and what was away and to make it new that's what God wants to do in your life so you need that self-control I want to give you a little relief today breathe easy because here's what we hear self-control I got a lot of work to do I got to do better I've got to I've got to work harder at this I got to have willpower mind over mind over matter mind over matter I can do this I can do this how much longer I can't wait I'm going to eat the marshmallow right now had enough but coming to that place to say no it's not my ability it is a fruit of the spirit and if I'm going to have self control I need the spirit of God to breathe into my life to do the work so some of you need to let your shoulders rest a little bit 
Because you know you need to make changes in your life. You you might be here today and say, I need to quit this. I need to stop this. I need self-control in this area. And it can feel like a weight and a burden. But I want you to know he's here today. And he says, hey, I can fix that problem. Just go to this website. Put this this in. And when you do that, I'll take over. I'll take it from here. I'll take control of your life. And how many know that our willingness to surrender control is when God is able to do the work that's needed in our life? Self-control is not your ability to manage. It's God's ability or the Spirit's ability to do the miracle. I would much rather have a miracle. The work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is a miracle. You see, there's a difference. You can settle for reformation. Some of us have settled for reformation. And reformation just means to have everything put back in its place. Have everything look good. It's reformed. It's put in place. You can settle for reformation. But reformation is all what you can manage, figure out what you can do. But we need more than a reformation. The church and the people of God need a regeneration. We need a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit to breathe into our nostrils and to breathe life and to say, it's not what you can manage, what you can figure out. It's what the Spirit of God is able to do when he takes over you no longer walk by the flesh but now you walk according to the spirit you live according to what God has designed in your life if you need self-control today it's not you need to manage your life better it's you need to surrender it to God and let him be the master of your life Proverbs 25 the scripture that we referenced already that the Hebrew word of that word control is matar with a silent S if you were to see it spelled out it's where we get the English word master master you see because control is all determined by who your master is whoever you've given the keys to your life to whoever it is that you've surrendered you've said you're the master of my life can I just give you a hint you might be here today and Jesus said to those that they were talking about money he said you, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. Notice Jesus said two masters. Three is not an option. You might be here today and say, no, I'm not serving, the, the, I'm not serving sin and I'm not even serving God. I'm serving myself. Yourself is not an option. Go try and have control of all of life's circumstances. See how well that works for you. See how well it is for you to work and have control over the financial climate of the community or of the world. Your your health matters. You just have control over all that. See how well that goes for you. Because you're going to quickly learn there's a lot of things out of your control. So you're either going to be controlled by sin or you're going to be controlled by the master of Jesus Christ, the one who gives righteousness. You see, the house was empty. And what that meant, the evil spirit left And he had his act together. He had everything figured out. But there wasn't the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside. And it came back, and it was with greater force. And Jesus said that person is worse off than they were before. Because the life change that you need is not according to your ability to manage it. This morning, you need to put down the broom and say, God... I don't want to just keep moving dirt around. I want you to breathe new life into this pile of dirt and bring this dead thing to life. Bring this this lifeless decay to a place of restoration. Do the miracle that's needed in my life because I believe he's a God who's able to do that. You might need self-control this morning. You might be here today and say, I only need a little bit of (laughs) self-control. This isn't one of those... 
We need the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, we need to say to God, God, I need you to breathe new life in me. You might be here today and your passion has gone out. The things of God have become dormant in your life. Because you may be managing some things. You're trying to figure things out. You, you've got the broom out. You've got it all figured out. You're, you're a great coordinator. You can coordinate the wedding and the union and put it all together. If this would all happen, it'd be the best thing. You can have it all figured out. But God's saying to us today, it's not what we can figure out. It's not what we can manage. It's when we humbly come to a place and say, God, take control. Be the master of my life. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? Self-control is not your ability to manage. It's the Spirit's ability to do a miracle. So take the load off. He'll do this. Quit thinking you got to fix this. He says, I'll take control. I got a call on Wednesday from a gentleman that I grew up with from the time I was seven years old. He came into my life and we grew up together. I left for college. He's younger than me, but I left for college. And when I left for college, I never really went back home. And so we stayed in contact. But after college, our paths kind of went separate ways. We stayed connected, see each other when we come back home for holidays or whatever, run into each other. We grew up in the same church. But unfortunately, he had gone his own way. And for 10 years, he had been an alcoholic it took a while for him to even admit it in fact he just had it all managed I'd see him at different places and there's something just not right with him he's not the same guy there's something wrong and, and I would perceive and think but he'd never admit it he calls me up Wednesday he says hey I just wanted to let you know just so happened he, he says this to me he didn't say it just so happened but I see the significance of it he said, I just wanted to call and let you know, eight days ago, he called me on Wednesday, eight days ago, I gave my life to Jesus. He said, for the last 10 years, you don't know this, but I have been drinking a gallon to a gallon and a half a day of hard liquor. I've been managing it. Things were falling apart. I kept doing what I could do to have control. He said, I knew something had to change. Things are falling apart. He said, I thought I need to go to rehab. I don't want to leave my family. He said, then I remembered. I need to come back to God. He said, and I remembered. So I called your dad. And your dad prayed with me over the phone. And my wife and I over the phone eight days ago gave our heart to Jesus. He said, the first day, he said, I had a headache. He said, usually I just return right back to drink more because that's how I got rid of it. He said, but this day I knew that I couldn't go back to that. He said, so I just said, I'm not going back. He said, but that was only one day. He said, the second day I didn't even desire, didn't even want. There's been no headaches. He said, for the last eight days I've been delivered. My life is changed. That was eight days on Wednesday. It's been more than eight days now. But God did a miracle in his life. And he said this to me. He said, I knew I could get help. He said, but I realized that the only help I needed was
was to turn it over to God because I've been trying to figure it out on my own. I had to quit moving the dust around and quit trying to manage it, quit trying to make sense of it myself, quit trying to control it. I needed to put it down and say, God, instead of me moving the dust around, I need you to breathe life into this dust. I need you to breathe life and regeneration because he's a God who makes all things new. He's a God who can change the third-ranked party school in West Virginia University. That's a third-ranked party school in all of America. He can change it and give it a new name, a place of revival, a place of regeneration. He can take your family history. He can take your family history, what has been, and he can breathe new life. All it needs in our lives, say, God, I'm putting down the broom. And I need you to take control. I need you to take control. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this place this morning. You're here today and you say, Jason, I need God to breathe new life in me. I need holy resuscitation. I need God to come down and give me mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I need him to breathe new life into me. I need him to breathe new life. You might be here today and you say, I got it kind of figured out. Everything's okay. God's got a portion. I'm all right. I don't need him that bad. I didn't ask you to validate how much you need God. I'm asking you today, have you recognized that you can't do this on your own? And unless he takes control of your life, you'll never be able to accomplish it. If you're here today and you say, Jason, I'm asking God today to come down and give me resuscitation, to breathe new life, breath air into me. I want him to take over my life. If that's you this morning, this worship team's going to sing. And if that's you today, I want you to stand to your feet and just lift your hands to God and say to God today, God, I'm giving you control. God, I'm surrendering this to you. I need you to breathe your life in me. If that's you this morning, make that your prayer as the worship team leads us and you just respond to God today and let him do what he needs to do in your life. Come on, let's respond to him today. Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.